Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. You know, this is my last Sunday, and then we go on sabbatical beginning tomorrow with 1st of August. And, um, but this passage we're in today is the closing of this series we've been in, in Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia. And it's interesting because I've been kind of, I'm, I'm sure that I've, I've been filtering what he says in his closing comments to the churches of Galatia through, you know, what we're walking through. But I, here's, what I, here's how I labeled the, the message this morning, is good news... This has been the good news series. Uh, Church is not a one-man show, which just seemed really appropriate. Um, Paul says a lot. There's actually several sermons in chapter six, um, but we're gonna zero in on a couple things this morning before we prepare for a time of baptism. And so, uh, yeah, I I titled the message, uh, Church is Not a One-Man Show. This is Paul's closing thoughts. It's kind of like his um, summarizing and tying up loose ends, uh, just sharing again, just kind of reiterating his primary concerns for the churches of Galatia. Um, You know, Galatians is a, a pretty dense letter, theologically, and I'm sure some of his readers, like some of us, got lost in the metaphors and the analysis he, it was, he had a pretty theologically dense case that he was creating for the church. And so as he gets back to chapter six, it's kind of like he steps back and he says, okay, in closing, here's what I want you to hear. And this is the last that they're going to hear from Paul for a little bit of time. Uh, Paul actually started these churches, so he was kind of like their founding pastor. He, he founded these churches on his very first missionary journey, and then on the tail end of that journey, when he got back to his home in Antioch, he wrote this letter to them. And then in a, in a little bit of time, he's going to go out on a second missionary journey, and he's going to revisit them. And he's going to come back and circle through those churches. So that, that wasn't the last time they were going to see him, but it was kind of a goodbye for now. This is his closing thoughts. And so I found it interesting this week that a lot of what Paul says in these closing verses has what I would call echoes of Jesus. You know, sometimes biblical writers, they, they're talking about Jesus and they quote Jesus directly and they say, that Jesus, remember Jesus said this. And sometimes they allude to what he said. And sometimes if you're aware of, of Jesus yourself, you pick up on things they're saying. We're like, oh, he didn't come up with that himself. That's just something Jesus said. That's just an echo of Jesus. And honestly, church, at the end of the day, that's where any good pastoring comes from. It's from someone who is personally being saturated by the words and the works and the life and the teaching of Jesus. And, that, and, that that those, and they're spending so much time there themselves that, that they're permeated and saturated by Jesus' word to a degree that what comes out of them naturally, what becomes their words, their response, their perspective is shaped by Jesus. It it's, sounds like Jesus. It, tastes like Jesus, feels like Jesus. 
That's actually our hope for this, for this sabbatical is just by stepping away and pausing from, from uh, trying to pastor others that we can just make time to be with Jesus ourselves so that ministry, as we continue on in ministry, it comes from a place of overflow, um, not emptiness. And so that's where Paul's writing from. I, I love that he's, he's got echoes of Jesus. We're gonna get to see that. So I do wanna reiterate that this is... Um, this is a church that Paul, or churches, this is, this is actually churches throughout this region of Galatia. But these are churches that Paul deeply loves. And the letter that he wrote to them, it was a strong letter, at times um, very uh, assertive, sometimes uh, bordering on aggressive, like as he was correcting them, as he was bringing um, a, a tone of just uh, urgency because of the things that he saw playing out in their church. But all of those things, when even when he was saying like things that were hard to hear, he was saying them out of love for the church. Do you remember, I don't know if you remember what he said. He, when he wished, earlier in chapter four, he talked about how he wished he could be physically present with them, even though he wasn't at the time. This is what he said in chapter four. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. Now, first of all, notice what he said. He described his, 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 what he was currently experiencing as he thought about them and prayed about them and wrote to them, prepared a message for them. He said, it feels like second labor. <laughs> Any women here who've given birth? <laughs> I haven't, I'll put my hand down. I witnessed birth. Paul was actually a single man. As far as we know, he never had a wife or children. So he's not experienced labor, but he's, he knows enough about it to where he describes his relationship with the Galatian churches actually in a maternal metaphor. He said, my, my dear children, for whom I am in labor again. Can you imagine that? Going through labor once and then having second labor for the same child? That's what he's describing. And you know what? That's the reality of, of parenting, though, isn't it? Because there's, there's pain in childbirth. There's literal physical pain in childbirth. And there's also pain in raising children. It comes in, in many places. And, 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 and yet it's all mixed with love, right? right? That's part of the package you sign up for. We sign up to, to, to love, and we know that in that love we'll experience pain. Paul's writing to the church and he says, uh, he says I, I love you so much and what I long for is for Christ to be formed in you. That's, he, he uses different language throughout the book. Sometimes he talks about being filled with the fruit of the Spirit. It's the same thing. What he's talking about is people that are so uh, transformed by their relationship with Jesus that they too are beginning to become like Jesus. That what comes out of them when they get squeezed looks and sounds and is experienced a lot like Jesus. And he goes, I, I long for that. He's been writing out of concern because he's, he's seen some places where that wasn't happening and where that was in danger of being derailed. And so now he's writing to them and he says, I want this for your joy and for the sake of the community you live in. I want this, I want Christ to be formed in you. So as he closes this letter, now he's, he's going to enlist their help. Again, he's at a distance. He's not going to be with them again for some sort of period of time. And so what he does as he's closing is he actually enlists their help in restoring the church. 
This is a church that's been fragmented by false teaching. It's been fragmented by divisions. We don't know the exact nature of that, but it's very clear that there's been divisions, there's been quarreling, there's been dissension in the church. And a lot of it comes back to the false teaching that crept in that was Jesus plus other things. And so now he's like, I need your help in restoring the church, in building up the church so the church becomes all that it's supposed to be for our joy, for his glory, and for the sake of all the people around us. That's my heart for you. I'm asking for your help in seeing this church continue to mature. Even while Andrew and I are away, we're, we're grateful. One of the things that we expect to experience is that, uh, that this is not, it never, was, it never was Try and Nancy's church when they planted this church. It was never our church when they asked us to step into leadership. It's always God's church. There's different people on, on stage for different scenes and different acts, but there's one author who is writing the play, and that is Jesus. And we expect you to experience that. This church is in good hands. Um, we have a wonderful team, both our, our vocational staff, our, our voluntary leaders. We have a wonderful team here. Um, I'm asking you to, to step up and look out for each other in, in ways that maybe you're not used to. Um, just, so let's, let's look at what Paul says. Let's turn to chapter six. Brothers and sisters, remember, he's, he's tying up loose ends. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. 6.3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. <laughs> his reason to be boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. PowerPoint here. Um, there's a lot there, <laughs> right? I'm glad you recognize that. Again, in Paul's absence, he's asking for the church, which, by the way, he's continually throughout this letter, he's addressed them as family. Can you think of the language he's used for the church? He's, he's called them my dear children. So he's identified them with a, a parental type of uh, relationship. He's called them brothers and sisters as if he's one of them with, with one heavenly father. He's talked about how the church is adopted into a spiritual family. So he keeps using the, this language that is endearing for people that maybe are not genetically related, but in a very real sense, they've become spiritual family. In, the, in his absence, he's asking for them to help pastor one another, their, their brothers and sisters. He wants them to bring healing, to bring correction where needed, to encourage one another. He wants to see this particular family of Jesus grow in its community. And he wants to see people who have found themselves out of step with Jesus. He wants to see them restored. It's not a one-man show. Their growth and their health and their maturity comes from the whole body working together. So he addresses his first instructions to you who are spiritual or you who are of the spirit, as some translations would say. You're of the spirit. Who do you think he's talking about? 
Who's he talking to? It's a trick question. Restoring Jesus' family. So here's the question. Who is, who is entrusted with, uh, members, with restoring members of Jesus' spiritual family? He says, you who are spiritual. In saying that, I, I think that Paul's saying something more specific than we might mean when we, when we say that someone's spiritual or when someone self-identifies as being a spiritual person. Have you ever heard this one where somebody says, yeah, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual, right? That, that, that means everything and nothing at the same time, right? Because oftentimes what it means when somebody says, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual, oftentimes what it means is I don't have any sort of commitment to a family of faith, to any sort of spiritual community that I'm growing in, that I'm participating in, that I'm giving to, that I'm receiving from. I'm not connected anywhere, I have no accountability, but I do sense that God is real, and so I find places where I experience that. Experience it when I, you know, I look at the ocean and I think deep thoughts. So that's often what we mean when we say I'm religious but not spiritual. Paul says, he, he says, you who are spiritual, I think he means something very specific like, by this because he actually defined this in the previous page of the letter. Mike, in our devotions, pa Pastor Mike has been calling each of these chapters page, pages instead of chapters. He says chapter five, chap or page five, page six, because it helps us to think about it as, as one continuous letter. And back in page, on page five, he actually identified what he means when he says, you who are spiritual. Remember that? He talked about living in the reality that you'd been born again by the Holy Spirit. That if you are in Christ, he puts, if, when you put your faith in Christ, he places his spirit inside of you. And this is what, what Jesus talked about in, in John chapter three as, as being born again of the spirit that he puts his spirit inside of you. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and if you're now alive in a new way, alive in the spirit, there's a way that you should live. So he, last week he said this, he said, if or since you now live by the spirit, he said, walk by the spirit, be led by the spirit, and keep in step with the spirit. We looked at just, how, how do you experience those type of instructions? He doesn't say sprint, in the spirit, right? He doesn't say, go all out for like one day a week and then coast the rest. He's talking about this methodical practice of living in a way that is surrendered to, obedient to, attentive to God's indwelling presence. We talked about it last week as, as you're using the language of Eugene Peterson. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It's a walk of intentional cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And Paul promised in, in, on page five, last week's chapter, he promised that if you live that way, your life will naturally begin to bear what he called the fruit of the Spirit. Basically, he said, Christ will be formed in you. It's different language for saying the same thing. Christ will be formed in you, and your life will, will naturally begin to look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So when your life is characterized by that kind of fruit, you'll be safe to do the delicate work of correcting or restoring a brother or sister who's taken a wrong turn, either theologically or in lifestyle issues. 
you'll be safe to do that if your life is, is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. That's why he said you'd be able to approach and interact with them in a spirit of gentleness. Remember that? You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Note that Paul doesn't say, you who are religious. Have you ever been corrected by somebody who is not being led by the Spirit, but is very religious? How many of you carry the wounds of having been corrected by somebody who was not being led by, who wasn't exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit at the point of correction to you, and yet they corrected you out of a religious spirit? It's not that helpful, is it? In fact, I'd say probably most of us in this room have experienced that, and a lot of the empty chairs in this room are from people who were at one time in Christian community and are not anymore because of wounds they've suffered at the hands of a brother or sister who delivered a word of truth but not in love. I've been on both sides of that equation. I've been the one correcting someone out of a religious spirit that, and I wasn't exhibiting the fruit of the spirit. I, can, I, I could think of times where I've, I've spoken into somebody's life and instead of being driven by love, I was, being, I was irritated that they were doing it wrong. Irritation's not a fruit of the spirit. <laughs> and it didn't produce good things in them. And the reality is I might have been right, but you know what, it's possible to be right but not be loving. And when we're right, but we're not loving, you know what we are? Jerks. <laughs> right? That's the, you can be right and not be loving and pretty much it's just being a jerk. I've been on both sides of that. I've, I've delivered those type of words or correction to people. I've also been on the receiving side of it where somebody spoke something to me and it was not permeated by the fruit of the Spirit, and what they said was not helpful. Paul said that when someone's religious, this is in last chapter five, page five, when someone's religious but they're not actually living a life of intentional cooperation with the Holy Spirit, he didn't say this, we said this last week, I said this, they're like that Christmas tree that we looked at last week. Christmas tree, what, it's, it's, either plastic or it's dead, but somebody has tied ornaments on it to make it look pretty. But on closer inspection, it's not producing those ornaments by itself. It's not producing beauty by itself, certainly not fruit. It just looks kind of good, but in reality, it's dead and fake or fake. Paul says when your life isn't being lived in this surrendered place to the Holy Spirit, You'll, what, you'll, what you'll characterize, your life will be characterized not by the fruit of the Spirit, but by the works of the flesh. And he names several of them that have to do, they're like relational killers. He said, enmity, you'll find things like enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And then he said, it's things like that. <laughs> That's just, that's, that's just a starting list. Being corrected by someone whose life is characterized by that kind of immaturity is not helpful. 
Those interactions, I mean, if you think about how you've experienced those moments where somebody spoke to you out of a religious spirit, not being led by the spirit. As I thought about that this week, as I've experienced that, on, again, on both sides of that equation, I would, I would describe those interactions as being filled with accusation, with judgments, with shame, shame on you, with venom, with superiority, like self-righteous superiority, and sometimes just plain meanness. So what does this mean? This means that this delicate work of helping to pastor one another, pastoring is a verb, not just a title, right? Helping to pastor one another, helping to restore, encourage, challenge, provoke one another to good works. There's all kinds of words in scripture, but, it, but there's this one anotherness to our life together. And Paul says that, that this delicate work requires a little bit of self-reflection or maybe more importantly, spirit reflection. It's the people who are practicing a life of cooperation with the Holy Spirit that Paul now turns to to ask for their help in pastoring and restoring their brothers and sisters who may have gotten onto the wrong path. So let's look at what he says next. Next he says, he, who does he ask them to pursue and restore? He said, if anyone is caught in any transgression. If anyone is caught in any transgression. As Paul's trying to mend the relationships in the church family in Galatia, he's trying to restore those that have been living out of this distorted gospel, the reason that he wrote the letter in the first place. And it's interesting because his application, it's both general and specific. It's specific to the division and the spiritual confusion that has currently been playing out in the church of Galatia. Theirs has been related to, uh, you know, there was false teachers who were coming in and for selfish gain, they were trying to win them to, to their camp, to their, their, you know, tribe. And they were promoting a, a, a variation, a twist on the gospel that actually wasn't good news. So Paul's actually, he's trying to address that specific thing. He's basically, if anybody got sucked up in that, if anybody got off on the wrong track about Jesus, about the gospel, or if anybody's lifestyle then took a, a, a different turn that doesn't look like Jesus, if anyone did that, help restore them. It's general because even after this is gone, after he's dealt with this thing and assuming the church rises to the occasion and they, and they move on from this false teaching about circumcision, even after that, there's gonna be other things that come in. There's gonna be other false doctrines that creep into the church. There's gonna be other false lifestyles that creep in. So he's talking about pursuing for the purpose of restoration those in their faith community who profess to be followers of Jesus that are living in any way that is inconsistent with that reality. Whether that's lifestyles or theologies, Paul calls for a spiritual maturity that moves toward every single person who claims the name of Jesus with a spirit of gentleness and faith that believes the best and wants the best for them. This is, this is what Paul would say to us if he was writing to us. He would talk to us about ourselves and about our fellow brothers and sisters in other you know, expressions of, of the church. We like to say that we're one corner of, of his pasture, but he's got a lot of corners. And how do we think about fellow believers who might believe slightly differently or, or maybe even be, be off in some way? Paul calls for a spiritual maturity that moves toward every person who claims the name of Jesus 
with a spirit of gentleness and with faith that believes the best and wants the best. And yet the more common response in our current cultural climate, 21st century America, is uh, our current, our more common response to a Christian perceived as having a distorted gospel or a sinful lifestyle, it's often not saturated with grace, with faith, with hope, and with love. I came across a quote this week from um, Beth and Melissa Moore in their study of Galatians, and they said this, they said, to be followers of Christ and yet merciless and unforgiving betrays an absurd misunderstanding of the gospel. Grace is like oxygen to the body of Christ. We need, we breathe, we breathe in and we breathe out. That's our oxygen, is grace, undeserved favor of God that we've received personally and so we extend it to others as well. Anytime we're unwilling to forgive or restore someone else, it's because we're, we're not living, we're not breathing the air of grace. So just a little application. Is there anyone, maybe an individual, or maybe it's a group of people, any relationship that you would not want to see gently restored, specifically thinking about brothers or sisters who claim the name of Jesus? Is anybody who you wouldn't want to see restored, who you wouldn't want to move towards them to help see them restored to right relationship with Jesus and with the church? If we nurture a smug superiority or a critical heart about those idiots, <laughs> and I've honestly heard that word used by, by believers to describe fellow believers. And I think it's an absurd misunderstanding of the gospel. If we nurture a smug superiority or a critical heart towards those who have it all wrong, we'll only contribute to the tearing down of one another rather than the restoration and the maturing of Jesus's family. So with that said, with that caveat of being spiritual, not religious, let's assume that we are the people that Paul is talking to, those who are spiritual. Let's believe the best about one another, right? So we're, we're spiritual people. We're entrusted with, with helping to pastor and nurture the body of Christ here at Vineyard Boise for the sake of our city. Let's assume we're those people. How do we go about seeking the restoration of brothers and sisters to the full gospel of grace? Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul here connects our willingness to walk with one another for the purpose of gentle correction, of restoration, for the purpose of maturing in the faith, for the purpose of living out the true gospel. All, all those things, he connects our willingness to do that with Jesus' model and Jesus' instructions to his disciples as Jesus was preparing to leave them. So as Paul's thinking about this church that he wishes he could be with presently, We'll, we'll come back to someday, he thinks about what Jesus said to his disciples as Jesus was preparing to leave them, knowing that he was also going to come back someday. But meanwhile, Jesus cared very much about how they, how they cared for one another. And so what did Jesus do? On the night that he was betrayed, he set aside his authority, and he got a towel and a wash basin and he went around the room and he literally washed the dirty feet of each one of his disciples. 
It was a, it was a servant's job, and not just a servant, but the, 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 the most low servant in the house had that job. And Jesus did that. He said, I care so much about every one of you. And by the way, he washed Judas's feet. Knowing that Judas was going to be the one that would betray him in the coming minutes. And he washed Judas's feet and then served him communion. After setting that example by washing their feet, this is what Jesus said. So when Paul says, when you carry one another's burdens, financial burdens, physical burdens, spiritual burdens, when you help a brother or sister, that's when you're fulfilling the law of Christ. Here's the law. Jesus said it right after he washed their feet. This is Jesus, 1334 of John. So now I'm giving you a new commandment or a new law. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Love each other. <laughs> There's this great story about John. This John is the, one of Jesus' uh, disciples, Peter, James, and John. John was, he perceived himself to be the one that Jesus loved. That's his, his self-understanding of, of his relationship with Jesus. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm the one he loved which is just beautiful. At the end of his life, the, the, the tr- tradition of the church is that John was pastoring the church in Ephesus, and he would get up on Resurrection Day, which is, was Sunday. That's why, they, that's why the early church began worshiping on Sundays instead of a Saturday, because it was the day that Jesus was resurrected. So it was Resurrection Day. He would get up on Resurrection Day, and he would say, my beloved children, love each other. And then he goes sit down. That's it. Love each other. I was meeting with a friend this week. He told me that his wife has taken to quantifying what she means, qualifying what she means when she calls herself a follower of Jesus. Because these days, that can mean a lot of things, right? It's not clear what you mean when you say you're a follower of Jesus. So she's began qualifying that, and she says... I follow the foot-washing Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty helpful. That's a good target. All right, let's follow that. I think that's helpful clarity because there's many versions of Jesus being modeled in our world. I have a, a toy in my office. It's a little action figure toy that somebody gave me. I left it in the packaging because it was just so telling about how we often function as people. It's a little action figure of Jesus. And the, and the, the packaging, it says, action figure Jesus, posable, bendable. <laughs> as in, we can just put him in whatever position we want, you know? But Jesus is a real person. Jesus' nature and mission are not up for grabs. Jesus' nature and his mission are not up for rent. He told his disciples to go love one another with the same kind of self-sacrificing love that he had shown them. And not only by washing their feet, but what he would do in the coming hours after washing their feet, when he literally laid down his life for their sake. He said, "If if you're my children, if my spirit is in you, if you're cultivating this life of surrender to my spirit, you'll begin to do that. You'll begin to want to live that way. 
it will be a joy to you and it will be a testimony to the world out there because that kind of love is different. That kind of love is winsome. It's irresistible. It's kind of love that says, I want to help you. Your needs matter to me. I want to encourage you. Your faith matters to me. I want to understand you. Your pain matters to me. So Paul goes on to add some instructions about the importance of self-awareness when we are considering entering into this place of helping pastor one another, encouraging one another, correcting one another, building up one another. He goes on to add some instructions about self-awareness that keeps us from doing harm to one another. This is more echoes of Jesus. He says, let each of you test his own work. How's that an echo of Jesus? Well, Jesus had warned his disciples against the hypocrisy of criticizing a fellow follower of Jesus while all the time having glaring sin and spiritual blindness ourselves. This is what Jesus said, Luke 6. Why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? (laughs) How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This type of self-reflection, and I would say what's called for here is not just self-reflection, but spirit reflection. Part of walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit, keeping in step with the spirit, is placing ourselves before God and saying, God, would you search me? Before I speak into somebody else's life, Would you search me and help me to see myself as you see me? That way we can approach someone in mercy, in humility, and in compassion, rather than in judgment, self-righteousness, or harshness. One commentator writes in comparison, in, in looking at one another, he said, one should not look at the weakness of others for the purpose of, should only look at one at the others for the purpose of compassion, not for comparison our view of one another should be driven by compassion, not by comparison. So this calls for us to get curious before God and ourselves about our own heart, mind, and spirit before attempting to correct others. So I was thinking this week about one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 139. The whole psalm is beautiful. The closing stanza is incredibly powerful. The closing stanza is one that there's been songs written out of it. It's one that We pray here often. I've heard others pray it too. It goes, uh, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of life everlasting, right? It's it's this place where David just plays himself before God. And so in the context of doing some self-reflection before ever endeavoring to speak correction into somebody else's life. It's this place of saying, God, would you help me to understand why I'm bothered by this? What's motivating me to say something? Remember I said that I've spoken to people corrective words out of irritation? Again, that's not a fruit of the Spirit. It's asking questions like this. Why am I bothered by what this person has done or is doing or is not doing? Is that triggering something in me? Is it reminding me of my own shortcomings? 
So often, it's easy to see and criticize in others the things that we are most ashamed of ourselves. And if we're not self-aware of that, we can actually come at people with a, a, a club that is actually what we most want to say to ourselves, because we recognize it. Only those who regularly do this kind of work of keeping in step with the Spirit are safe to speak lovingly and helpfully into the lives of fellow believers. Asking questions like, what does my reaction to their lives expose about me? So last week we talked about Eugene Peterson, and Eugene Peterson, as he, as, he, as he pastored over his lifetime, he said the thing that he realized was the most important was to encourage and equip and challenge the church to what he called scripture prayer, which was one word. It's a fusion of scripture and prayer, scripture prayer. We listen to God in scripture, we respond to him in prayer, and it's taking these passages like Psalm 139 and making it a scripture prayer to say, God, I, I want to be useful in your body for seeing your body built up and encouraged for, to see Christ formed in our community for the sake of our city. But would you start it in me? It's interesting. Oftentimes, like, like I said, you know, I, I, I pray that prayer of David's a lot. It, it, is a con it has a context, though. That's the end of the psalm. Immediately before that, in Psalm 139, immediately before that, David's talking about other people. He's talking about other Israelites that he's, and, and maybe, maybe some non-Israelites that he's not really impressed with. He says, O God, that you would slay the wicked. Men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you, God, with malicious intent. Your enemies take you in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you? Oh, I loathe them who rise up against you. I hate them with complete and perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. He says that, and then he says, search me. <laughs> I don't think that's like just a whole new thought. I think he has a little check in his spirit and realizes something about what's coming out of me towards others is not righteous. And so he says, would you search me and know me? Try my heart. Lead me in the way everlasting. Don't let me respond. And, and you know what? To a large degree in David's life, that prayer played out. Oftentimes when attacked by somebody else, he didn't turn to attack because he trusted God to do those things for him. So having enlisted their help to build, the, to, to build up one another, Paul shifts he ties up a few other loose ends. I'm not going to spend much time here because we're going to save time for baptism, but just read this closing paragraph. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. I just love that verse. Let the one who is taught, who's taught the word, share all good things with the one who teaches. In all sincerity, um, you know, Andrew and I are very appreciative of this time that we're getting to go on sabbatical. We, we know that for the most part, most people within the Vineyard Church didn't get a vote on that. Um, those who did, you know, we're, this was a discussion with our, our executive team and our pastoral team and our finance council. Um, so there were some who got a vote, but, but here's what I want to say. Even as we began to share the, what we were planning with other people, the response from from the church has been so supportive 
And I just want to thank you for that. It's, we don't take it lightly that we get this time to just rest and be renewed and, uh, and be refreshed because we want to pastor out of a place of abundance, not on empty. And, uh, and so you've been very generous with us. And, and I just, on the front end of this, I want to say thank you very, very much. Um, you've, you've shared good things with us. And so um, that's specific to us, but I think in terms of what Paul's saying here to the church in Galatia, they've been supporting false teachers who are only interested in them for selfish gain. Kind of like the late night televangelists of the 80s who were just trying to get money from you know, people who were up watching TV late at night and it wasn't really characterized by the fruit of the spirit. It was for selfish gain. Paul is saying to them, he's saying stop supporting things like that. In their case, stop supporting these false teachers claiming to have authority from Jerusalem and instead support those who are ministering out of the true gospel. I'd say today the modern day application is, to, is not specific to just whoever is the teaching pastors of a specific church, but, but give your financial support to churches that are living out the true gospel. To the church organization that's seeking how to show and share the true gospel of Jesus. To the church organization that's seeking to proclaim and live truth in the midst of so many competing worldviews. To the church, to the family that's seeking to be light of Jesus in the darkness of a yet unredeemed world. And so in that regard, Paul says, don't be deceived. He closes with this metaphor of sowing and reaping that's an extension of what he was saying last week about if you live to the flesh or if you live to the spirit. He closes and he says, let, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's a spiritual law, just like there's natural laws that govern our world, there's spiritual laws that govern our world. And what you are investing today, what you're sowing, whether it's works of the flesh, things that you know are part of your old life that are not who Jesus is, is making you to be, or whether you're sowing to the Spirit, living in surrender to and obedience to, the Holy Spirit. Whatever you're doing, you are going to see a harvest from that someday. What you invest today, you will harvest eventually. He says, so don't be discouraged if you don't see fruit right away. And don't be deceived if it looks like you're getting away with something that you shouldn't get away with. You will harvest that. And so his closing words as he, and there's a few more parting thoughts, but, but this is the close of his letter. Church, let's not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Hmm. Especially those to those who are of the household of faith. Those are, if I could say anything, like, don't grow weary. This, uh, if there's a word I've used to describe my life in a negative way in the last few years, it, I would, I've often used the word weary. Paul would say to me and he would say to us, don't grow weary. I know there's a lot of things in this world that are discouraging, that feels like there's a lot of change, there's a lot of things that are uncertain. Keep doing what you know to do. Keep
keep living a life being led by, in step with, surrendered to the Holy Spirit. You will bear fruit. We will bear fruit. Don't give up. Keep doing what you know to do. That's how the church gets built up, healed up, and fulfills its mission in each time and place. As we transition to baptism, I, I, wanna, I thought I'd close with a prayer that I just wanted to read over you, over us, um, that comes also from Paul. It's one of my favorite prayers for the church. And, um, and so if you just wanna close your eyes, um, we'll just hear these words. Paul wrote them to the, the, uh, the church in Ephesians, or Ephesus, but um, scripture's portable. So this is, this is my prayer over Vineyard Boise as well. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious and unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or imagine. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. So be it. As we, Thanks. so one of the things that the church does, thank you, thank you. One of the things the church does to build one another up, to see the church grow and be edified and fulfill its witness in our time and place is we have some sacraments like, uh, like communion and like baptism that we practice. And they're things that we do to celebrate when someone gives their life. We publicly celebrate when somebody surrenders their life to Jesus. So when we practice the sacrament of baptism, we're not baptizing people into the vineyard specifically, okay? We're baptizing people into the family of Jesus. We're recognizing that they've made a decision to surrender their life to him in exchange for his life. And, and, there, and, and, and in baptism, we participate with Jesus' death and with his resurrection. And so there's, and there's, there's so much imagery. There's the, the water that is washing. There's a cleansing that's happening. And all of that is, is symbolically received through, through baptism. And so, as a church, we've been doing this as part of our Sunday mornings, a couple times a year. We're doing it, we, from now on, we're doing it on, whenever there's a fifth Sunday, we're going to do baptism. 
And we have some people this morning. We have, uh, I think, three people that have already signed up and said they wanted to be baptized. And so they've been thinking about this. And we've been, ha- we've been having some conversations this week about what does it mean and, and what does it look like. And, we've, and they've been doing some reading. But there's opportunity for you to do this spontaneously this morning, too. We've prepared for that. We have extra towels. We have extra t-shirts. And so if you didn't come prepared for baptism, but something's stirring in your heart today that you want to give your life to Jesus, you can do that today. Maybe, maybe you got baptized as a child, but you didn't really understand it. You didn't have the opportunity to choose that for yourself. And so you'd like to do that today. Maybe you have become a follower of Jesus just recently, but you've never walked through the, the sacrament of baptism. Or maybe you've been on the periphery and you've just been exploring Jesus and today's the day you decide, I think I'm in. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to give him my life in exchange for his. Or maybe, maybe you've been running church these days is full of people who, who have walked with Jesus maybe in their childhood, had a real and sincere relationship with Jesus as a, as a child, but, but drifted away, ran away. And at times people are coming back to faith and they want to renew their commitment to Jesus through baptism. All of those are valid. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment. The worship team is going to lead us in a, another song. So congregationally, we're just going to have a chance to respond to Jesus and just just worship him. But if you'd like to be baptized, you can come see Kim over here at the table underneath this screen over here. Kim's got t-shirts. She's got towels. She's got um, name tags. And, uh, And if you'd like to be baptized, you can go meet with Kim first. And then we have a ministry team that would like to pray for you. And they've been praying for you in advance, asking God to give them words specifically from him through them to you. And so they're going to pray for you. And then one by one, we're going to bring people over here and and, um, two of our pastors, Pastor Michael and Pastor Sharon, are going to be baptizing people. And so our job, if you're not baptizing, is to spend a moment in prayer and worship. And then when people come out of that water, we celebrate. We... We cheer because destinies are changing. Destinies are changing. The, the, the ends cycles of violence in families. Silence of, of divorce and abuse. Their cycles are changing. So we celebrate that. We cheer it on. So the service is not over. Don't leave yet. So we're going to do this. So, um, so yeah. So would you stand with me? And we'll worship for a moment. And, uh, and if you're getting baptized, you can head over there and meet with Kim. And then we'll, uh, after the song of worship, we'll do a few baptisms.
morning over general ministry um, type needs, not just over the baptisms, but sensed a few specific things that they sensed that God wanted to uh, minister to today. And so we're going to put those words for prayer up on the screen. And then um, once we've got people, once we're started into the baptism, if you recognize that one of those words is for you, I would ask you to just come over here underneath the screen on this side, the side of the room over here. Um, or you can, if you're online, you can, uh, you can email in and or raise your hand on, depending on which of the, the platforms you're using. But, um, but there, there's opportunity for prayer this morning if you need that. And, and if you have a need for prayer and it's not on that list, um, I would encourage you to come and receive prayer from our ministry team as well. So, um, team, do we have somebody ready? All right. Ladies and gentlemen, would you welcome Chris? Brothers and sisters, I should say. Chris, um, what has God been doing in your life that's led you to this decision for baptism today? Uh, so God's been... Uh, should be. Oh, I turned it off. Sorry. I sabotaged you. Uh, God's been pursuing me my whole life um, through the ups and the downs. Uh, he never gave up on me even when I gave up on myself. Um, and he's shown me things 
specific things to me. Jesus knows how to make himself visible in a way that only I would see it. And um, I'm just, I'm here, Lord. I thank you for never giving up on me. I see you. I love you, Jesus. I surrender. the things that were lost of your creation and your intention to restore and to put back the way you always wanted it to be so I just pray for Chris that um, he'd begin just to experience your life-giving redeeming power in his life the things that he thought were lost Lord that um, he'd realized that they're found the things that he um, saw his pain, Lord, that he would realize that you were forming something deeper and more uh, important, more eternal in his life. Lord, all those things that led him to this very point this morning, Lord, where he's saying yes to you, where he surrenders to you, Lord, would you now redeem him? Redeem him in the name of Jesus. So, Lord, we, um, we acknowledge that uh, we need you in everything of our life, Lord. Without you, there is nothing good. But with you, all things are good and all things are possible. So as Chris goes under this water today, Lord, we just pray that, that um, the, the things of Chris uh, that are of him and not of you would stay below, Lord, and, and the things of you would rise up. They'd rise up within his heart, within his soul, within his life, his words, his relationships, Lord, that you would rise up in this man of God. As he says yes to you and surrenders, Lord, um, that you would be what is seen. So Chris, um, it is in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit now that we baptize you. All right, this is Marissa. This past year has been really, really hard for me, um, and I found my way to God. My family isn't religious, so this was definitely a very hard journey for me, but Sharon and everyone at this church has been such a family to me, and I have been so very loved, and I am just honored to be a part of this family and have all of you guys here, so thank you. 
Oh, Lord, I thank you for Marissa, God, and just the gift, as my little sister says yes. And Lord, we know that this isn't, um, she's not taking this lightly. Lord, what she did several months ago, she's now saying to everybody else, this is the real deal. Lord, I pray that this moment in time would stay with Marissa her whole life, that she's voting with her feet, Lord, that what she's already said yes to in her heart, Lord, this doesn't seal the deal. This says yes to more to come, an adventure, a journey with you, Lord, that she will have for the rest of her life. Lord, we thank you. You never leave her. You'll never forsake her. And her real family is the Father, our, the, the family of God. You've adopted her. She belongs to you. Help her in those moments, Lord, where the enemy is going to throw those darts. We trust you with her, with her, Lord. We lay her at your feet. And we thank you, God, that she's now a part of the family of God. Thank you, Jesus. Marissa, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ through baptism. Raised to what? This is Vivian. So I've been wanting to get baptized for a long time now, but haven't been able to due to reasons. And I recently went through something called Teen Ren that helped me awaken who I truly am in Christ and made me long to just go deeper in a relationship with him. Vivian, God, in that she sees herself more as just a, a, a daughter of God. She sees who she is uniquely. Lord, you have a plan for her life. You've been pursuing her relentlessly since the day that she was born. Before that, even, Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would go with Vivian and that, Lord, the doubts that are thrown at her would be just bounced off, that she would say yes to being the daughter of God that she is. She would say yes to the call that you have on her life. Father, I thank you that you've already given her this incredible word of creativity. Father, we pour favor on that creativity as it leads others closer to you, Jesus. That she will be someone, Father, that is um, a reflection of your love. Thank you, Lord, for her and who she is. We pray that there would be favor on her life. You would protect her all the days of her life as we share eternity together. Thank you for Vivian, in your name. Thank you, Jesus. Vivian, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ through baptism. Everyone, this is Rachel. Rachel didn't know she was gonna be doing this today. Um, but Rachel, what's been going on in your heart that made you want to respond now? So uh, it's 
bit of a long story. I'll make it short. I got involved in the occult when I was 11, and I didn't really know Jesus until about a year ago. And I had been baptized in other churches, but it didn't really feel like it was right and with the Spirit. And I just, I showed up here today, and I didn't even know I was going to church. So <laughs> so I showed up here, and and this church has always moved me. And I've been to some of their other programs, like their movies at night out in the field. and. And I just thought, there's just, there's just so much spirit here. And, and I thought, you know, why not? They're baptizing today, so I'm going to do that. <laughs> so. for Vivian, Lord. Lord, I thank you that, um, uh, that you call us in the ways that you know that we um, can hear you. Uh, even as Vivian uh, spoke, Lord, I could just uh, tell that it was your Holy Spirit that brought her here this morning. Uh, I could tell that it was your Holy Spirit that was moving her this morning, that was speaking to her, even if she didn't recognize it. Lord, I, I thank you that you speak to our very hearts and souls. Lord, I, I pray for the things that Vivian longs for in her heart and her soul, the things she needs to hear your voice for, Lord, the things that bring life, Lord, where there is death, the things that bring hope where there is hopelessness, Lord. Would you speak, would your spirit continue to move and restore uh, this daughter of yours? And Lord, I, I, just, uh, I just also, Lord, acknowledge just that that leaving behind of the of an old way that is uh, that can be so entwined and so rooted in our lives, Lord, it, um, the unknown of it and the scariness of it. But Lord, in your love, I pray uh, Vivian would experience peace. I pray in your love she would experience uh, hope. Uh, in your love that she would experience courage, uh, a courage that leads her forward closer and closer towards you, Lord. The Lord is with you, Vivian. And the Lord speaks to you. And I believe he's going to continue to speak to you very uh, uh, specifically and intimately. Um, I think that's going to be something that you actually, uh, it'll be a strength of yours, your ability to really hear the Lord, to really hear him and to know that it's him. So Lord Jesus, um, as Vivian uh, just confesses her, her faith in you today, Lord, and her uh, her desire to, uh, to just say that in front of this whole crowd of witnesses, Lord, this church, um, Lord, we, we love her and we stand with her, and uh, we know that it brings joy to your heart. And it's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Vivian, that we baptize you now. All right, everybody, this is Nathaniel. Nathaniel, you didn't know you were getting baptized today? Also, okay, this is exciting. This is a spontaneous decision. Here you go. What's God been doing? My name is Nathaniel Ingrao. I uh, 
kind of burned my house down last year in the sense that my relationships with the people that I love around me and my community fell apart. Um, went down the path of intoxicants and I've been clean and sober since December 7th. That's a hard battle, especially when it's hot. And uh, came here on Easter and saw baptisms then. Uh, family wasn't here, so tonight, or today I should say, my family's here and see baptisms again. And I was like, well then, nothing better than now. So I'm taking a step today to put my walk with God back on the path that I need to and solidifying that for my future. So I'm here to get baptized. thank you for Nathaniel Lord, for his life that led him to this moment today uh, that we get to see your glory um, in his life and your your victory uh, in his life Lord, I thank you for um, what you've given Nathaniel even today and his his family being here uh, the support and the, uh, the encouragement uh, that you provide for us Lord when we need it Lord I just pray that you would continue just to show Nathaniel your victory in his life, uh, that he'll be able to uh, say year after year after year um, what you have done uh, and who you have formed him to be, uh, the old person who is uh, uh, continually just diminished and a new uh, man of God uh, that is visible and that is seen. But I, I also just pray also that, that restoration uh, in his life uh, for those those relationships and those those places um, where he needed you and now he has you Lord would you give him uh, the courage and the power uh, to be the man that you've created him to be to restore those things and make those things right Lord we thank you for the forgiveness that you have given Nathaniel the forgiveness of all things I just believe the Lord wants you to um, let those things go in your heart, in your mind, in your soul when you go under. He truly, truly, truly forgives you for each and everything. He knows it all, and it wasn't anything that prevented him from coming towards you, from wanting you, from redeeming you. It's all joy in his heart. He wants you to know that. So would you just let that burden go today? Let that burden go. Nathaniel, uh, it's only the, the power of Jesus that, um, that can do those things in your life, that can make us uh, new men and women, sons and daughters, uh, and that's what you, uh, you have, and uh, thank you for just sharing with us this morning, for speaking it to this church. So now, Nathaniel, it's in the, the name, the power of Jesus, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we baptize you.
Lake Church. This is Savannah. And Savannah, would you share with us briefly about uh, what brought you to this decision to want to be baptized today? Um, I am here not to get the Lord in me because he is already in me, but to celebrate that he's in me. And I really just want to influence others to do the same because it's a big piece of mind, or a piece in your mind that he gives you that is just great. And, and no battle is stronger than him. And that's really good to know, too, because then not much stress is on your brain that normally is all the time. So just, I know that I just need to keep spreading the word. And that's why we're put places that we're that we're at, like, um, why am I here? Why did he put me here? And it's because I need to reach those people. It's all for reasons, and so I'm very glad for where I'm at. Thank you. Forever together. It's <laughs> a long time I get to get to know you. <laughs> oh, Lord, thank you, sir, for Savannah, Father. And uh, we know that angels are celebrating. All heaven is rejoicing right now as she has said yes, Lord, to a lifetime of, of following you. Lord, she's asked and requested to be used to touch others' lives. So we, we pray for that, Father, that her family, her friendships, Lord, that there would even be incredible encounters, God, that come on her life where she can share her story, her testimony of what you've done, Lord, so that others will come to know you. Bless Savannah's, just bless her life, Lord, and just be with her during those times where the enemy will want to attack and throw lies at her, God. And her kids, Lord, be with her kids. Yes, Jesus. Protect her in the name of Jesus. So, man, there's also, um, there's this uh, story in the Bible of um, Joseph who his brothers uh, were going to murder him and they sold him into slavery. And, uh, he had all these stories throughout his life of just suffering and uh, things that just seemed uh, unjust and wrong towards him. The Lord continued just to use him where he was at. He continued to surrender himself and to be um, who he was created to be, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation was, no matter how dire it was. Uh, and the Lord used him. The Lord used him to save many people, uh, including uh, the seed, the promised seed of Jesus, who had come uh, through Judah. So I, I just pray that... Um, when you think of that, yeah, that purpose of, of uh, in your life, you know, to make your your home here as you wait for your home in heaven, um, that whether it's difficult, whether it's uh, easy, that the Lord will give you strength uh, to be who He's created you to be in that moment, to be Him in that moment. So, Savannah, we baptize you now in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ your God. All right.
One last baptism. This is Jonathan, and Jonathan's going to share a little bit about what God's been doing in him that made him want to be baptized today. Uh, so I have been baptized before, but I'm here because I, or because Jesus and God helped me win battle over my drug of choice, and so I'm finally free. shared was just the, that word of freedom, uh, freedom in Christ, freedom in Him, uh, freedom from the things of this world that um, would try to convince us something is better, or that we need something else, or that there's something missing. Jonathan, in Christ, uh, nothing is missing. In Christ, um, you have everything that you need. And Lord, we just pray that you would just continue to win the battle for Jonathan, win the battles in his life. Show him that you are fighting for him, that you have won the battle, Lord. You are victorious. There's a scene in um, this movie, I don't know if you ever saw it, it's a, uh, it's a Narnia kind of movie. Yeah. And there's like this great battle towards the end of this, this movie and one of the, uh, the sons, uh, one of the, like the king, whatever his name is, uh, the young guy, and, um, and he's about to die by the sword uh, of the, the enemy, the witch, and out of nowhere you just hear this roar, this roaring lion from the top of the cliffs, yeah. and the, the, this, this, this camera just like spans to him, and everybody pauses and everybody stops in and, and both fear and, and wonder, and just like that he comes through and just defeats the enemy and rescues and saves and redeems, and I just, I just saw you in that place of God, this, and this roaring lion just roaring and coming after you across the hills and across the mountains. And even when you thought it was the last moment, uh, he rescued you. He saved you from the, uh, the things that the enemy would have uh, destroyed you with. And that's not a one-time event, Jonathan. That's, a, that's an event that's going to continue happening and happen and happen whenever you need it. So Lord, we just thank you. You are um, the king in Jonathan's life. You are that roaring lion. You will not leave him, you will not forsake him, not to himself, not to, to sin, Lord, that you are coming and you have come uh, to save him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jonathan. Thank you for saving him. Lord, as he just says yes to you before all of us today, um, we celebrate with him, Lord. We celebrate what you are doing in his life and what you are gonna to continue to do in his life. Jonathan, it's in the name of Jesus, the Son, and the Father, and the Holy Spirit that we baptize you now. All right, church, that was fun. All right, well... 
now it's time to go out and make the invisible God visible. And I will see you in November. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks. Thank you.